Welcome to The Legal Tea, the podcast where we interview lawyers brewing beyond corporate law. Each week you'll hear about their practice area, the work they do, and the roads they've taken to get there. I'm your host, Max Herberg. This episode is sponsored by SOAS Law Society. Aligned in our values of inclusivity and diversity within the legal profession, SOAS stands out as a law society that cares about its members and empowers them with the skills necessary to excel in their legal career. So if you're at least curious, be sure to check them out at soaslawsoc.com. Welcome back to another episode, everybody, and a happy Chinese New Year. As we cross the one-year anniversary since this pandemic began, take a step back and realize how much our way of working and studying has changed. Had you asked me a year ago what Zoom was, I'd have told you it's what happens 15 minutes into a trust lecture. You tend just to zoom out. Ask me what Teams was, I'd have told you it's what happens when a group of distressed law students get together and share notes the evening before their contract law exam. And yet, now we use these platforms every day. We use them to attend lectures, to hold office meetings, to hold virtual drinks, you name it. The pandemic has prompted a behavioral change towards our adoption of technology into our daily lives. And law firms are no different. As national lockdowns and COVID restrictions have forced lawyers to work from home, firms have had to set up and integrate new technologies into their way of work. However, this latest push is part of a broader trend in the legal market known as legal tech. As the worlds of law and technology become increasingly intertwined, we start to realize the potential benefits that their synergy yields. Here to tell us what the heck is legal tech this week is Shaz Aziz, Markets and Growth Director at Neurologic and LSE Law Grad. In this episode, we sit down with Shaz and help break down the vast array of legal tech providers in the market, the difference between platform point solutions, and the increasing prominence of no code. But don't worry, it's not all talking tech. A qualified solicitor, we also take the time to go over Shaz's decision to leave his former firm, Herbert Smith Freehills, upon qualification to jump into the legal tech startup arena. When making such a career switch, Shaz tells us the importance of questioning your assumptions, weighing up the pros and cons, and ultimately identifying what your values in life are. We finish off by surveying the current state of the legal sector and discuss how, as scary and as daunting as it might seem right now, there's never been a more exciting time to join the legal profession. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, brew yourself a cuppa, and enjoy the show. Hi, Shaz. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Hi, Max. I'm good, thanks. So, Shaz, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. So, I am a lawyer by training. did my training contract in the city. I spent a little bit of time in practice, but I now work at Neosologic on the technology side, which is a legal tech company that's about letting legal teams and law firms build software, basically, without learning how to code. So, let's jump right into it then. What the heck is legal tech? Uh, good question. <laughs> uh, so I would say it's essentially any technology 
that you could use to deliver legal services better or you know even reshape the legal industry in, in some ways so it's really broad and it's because legal services are broad as well i mean my company's approach to legal technology is very different from other players in this market you know we're about helping legal service providers build software easier and without using code but you also have machine learning algorithms you know and they're about helping lawyers review documents quicker or you have like research tools that are about helping lawyers manage their knowledge better and, and you know deliver their knowledge better so there's a lot of ways to approach the legal market and to improve on it and i guess i'd say any attempt to do that is is legal technology is that why legal tech is starting to become something like the next commercial awareness where everybody can point to something, but nobody really knows how to explain it simply due to this diversity. Yeah, I, I think so. I, th- I think because commercial awareness is, it's confusing as a concept, but it's quite simple in its application. It's just knowledge of what's going on in the market. Legal tech's the same. It's confusing in the concept because it could be so broad. It could be 10 different things or 20 different things. But if you just understand the kind of core principle behind it, it's it's about improving legal service delivery. It's about improving the legal industry. Then it starts to make a bit more sense. And I think it is important for people to to understand it because it is going to change the legal market. It's going to change the work for young lawyers. It's going to change the work for in-house legal teams. So yeah, it's definitely uh, here to stay. And so you talked about Neotologic situates itself in the market in a particular way in comparison to other providers, particularly through no code. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so Neotologic is a platform. It's not really a tool for any one job. It's a toolbox where you can use it to build all sorts of different things. So, you know, a lot of our customers use it to automate documents. That's one of the most common things that, that people do. A lot of people also use it for delivering legal advice. So, you know, think of like robo advisors and chatbots and that kind of stuff. A lot of people use it for business workflows. So, you know, we just did a project where we're helping with a procurement process, we're automating that process, uh, contract review processes, negotiation processes. You can use Neota to automate those different kinds of things. And the no code thing, we talk about ourselves being a no code tool. And I think that actually captures it quite well because we don't constrain the technology to one area of legal work, but it's something that lowers the bar for building software. And for building apps, you know, the no code thing means I, as a non-developer, a non-coder can build software. I can use the tools that Neota has, these kind of drag and drop visual tools to make software. So that's kind of how I describe our company. So how have you seen the adoption of this no code software offered by Neota by law firms and other corporations? Yeah, it's kind of moving fast now. I think Neota was ahead of the curve a little bit. I mean, Neota has been around for 10 years. And I think at the beginning of the decade, people were still thinking about traditional software development. You know, that was just breaking into new to industry and, and changing the way that we work. No code is like the next step. It's software development without the coding. It's software development with drag and drop visual tools. And I think 2010 was too early for that because people were still implementing software and, and coding. Now I think it's really, really picking up. Um, No code has become such a big movement, uh, not just in legal tech. I mean, more widely, the term no code is is kind of big now. I mean, there are Silicon Valley companies, billion dollar companies that are no code companies. They help you make websites without coding. They help you build databases without coding, that kind of thing. And I think now is the time for that kind of uh, development. And why do you think this rise has come now? 
On the one hand, we have obviously the pandemic, which has forced everyone to work remotely and adopt, say, more digital solutions. But is there perhaps another reason why we are starting to see this rise of, of no codes? Um, yeah, I think it's just so much easier. I see no code as a combination of software development and that kind of technological side married with a focus on design. You know, traditional software development is incredibly powerful and it can revolutionize your work, but it's complex and a non-technical person, you're just staring at a wall of uh, code. You don't understand a shred of it. I certainly couldn't understand any of it. So it's really, really opaque to the outsider. Whereas no code is not opaque. The outsider can actually build. The outsider can come in and can help develop and can sort of guide the process. So it's so much more accessible than traditional software development because you're building with drag and drop. You're building with, with boxes and arrows. And it's just so much easier for people who haven't spent 10 years studying JavaScript or whatever. It gives them the opportunity to get involved in that process of development. And I guess with this greater accessibility, these outsiders, say typical lawyers, would feel more empowered, no, with these applications or with these no-code softwares to then build their own solutions. Yeah, that's exactly it. So if, if you know what's going on and you understand, then you are more invested in the outcome. It's not a black box to you. It's not a mystery. You can see what's going on. You can see how this thing is developing. And it means that you can actually be involved in the journey and the process of producing that. If the software is there to digitize a part of your firm or your company's service provision, you want to be involved, especially if it's part of your job. So yeah, it really allows people to access it better and, and it allows people to kind of learn how to do that and broaden their own skill set. What do you say to the fear mongers who like to say that legal technology is essentially the replacement of lawyers by robots? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not. I mean, it's just a very different thing. Legal tech is not technology to replace lawyers. It's, it's technology to improve the delivery of lawyers' services. I don't know if we're ever going to get to a point where we have these robo lawyers that can just do all of the whole job and we put lawyers out of work. I don't think that's ever going to happen. And it's not a same thing that anyone wants to happen. What we want is to improve outcomes for people. And we improve outcomes for people by improving service delivery, you know, cutting waste and making service delivery more efficient and making answers better and making documents better, making workflows better. That's really what it's all about. So I really wouldn't worry, especially if you're a young lawyer, I really wouldn't worry that because there's legal tech now, you're not going to get a job at a law firm. They're always going to need lawyers to deliver the services. Well, that's good to know for our listeners out there that their jobs are safe for the moment. Um, <laughs> but why should, say, not young lawyers, but law students now care about legal technology if they don't have a particular affinity for technology? Yeah, look, I'm no techie. I can't code. I can't do any of that stuff. I am a lawyer by background. I did my training contract in the city. I spent a bit of time working. I did a bit of time in house and everything. I'm like that. But I think it's important to care about it because it's going to change the working world that you want to enter so much. You know, you have to understand what is happening in that market you want to enter. You want to be a lawyer. That's great. Legal tech is going to be a big part of that picture. And you need to understand how it's affecting that picture. It's already happening. You know, Max, I'm sure you all, you know all about the Ignite program that Clifford Chance do. I'm sure there are loads of other firms doing similar things, but it's training contracts that have a real tech focus because they realize that it's really important for young people to be familiar with the technology that's going to be a big part of their careers. It's going to be a huge asset in legal career as well. It's, it's just being familiar with the technology. 
But it's not just about the tech and using the tech. It's about the skills and the mindset changes that come alongside with that. So agile approaches to work and process mapping and design thinking and understanding workers' systems and processes and systems thinking. These are kind of new mental models and new approaches to work that are going to be really useful for young people entering the profession. And I think you can learn all of that by getting familiar with legal technology. That's quite fascinating, especially in terms of the new mindsets and systems, because law firms and being a lawyer traditionally involved a lot of monotony in terms of, well, this is the process of how things get done. And it seems that legal technology has brought this new wave of, okay, this is how it's done, but how can it be better? If you reflect your experience with working at Neota now compared to working in the city, What was that like in terms of that culture and innovation thinking? That's a good question, actually. I mean, my experience of practice was, it was good. I had a good time. I trained at Herbert Smith in London, and that's where I qualified. And I enjoyed it. I mean, what you say is true. It is not overtly innovative culture. I certainly didn't feel like I experienced that. You know, you do the work the way the work is supposed to be done, and this is the way we do it, and this is the experience that we have. And I think personally for me, there were a number of reasons why I moved, but I was always thinking about how this could be done better and why are we wasting time doing this kind of thing? There's this technology that could do it for us. So yeah, that process is happening. I think it is quite different. You know, law is, is slow. Law is an industry that's reluctant to change for a lot of good reasons. And I think being on the other side of the table, being on the technology side is it's just a For me, it's the right atmosphere. It's more innovative. It's more, how do we change things? How do we do this better? How do we disrupt things a little bit? Uh, And I think that is slowly kind of feeding back into the the legal industry, traditional legal industry. And so now that you're working in, say, the tech side of things, what is it that you do? What is your role? And what does your typical working week look like? Yeah, well, I, I look after our growth function in Europe. So that covers a lot of things. I sort of touch a lot of parts of the business. And that's one of the reasons why I enjoy it a lot. I think the core part of it, I suppose, is is sales and consulting. So building our presence in the market and ensuring that the company grows as fast as we expect it to. But it also covers working hard with customers. So improving their experience with Neosa. And, and ensuring that they stay with us for longer uh, and also working hard with the product because you know I am the channel between the markets and our customers and our product team to ensure that we're building and improving the technology the, the way it needs to be built and uh, improved. In terms of what a, a day looks like or like a week looks like, I guess it's pretty variable. So my main focus is on developing relationships in the market and finding new customers. So a good portion of my week is doing things like giving demos of our software to people, having calls with law firms and in-house legal teams and talking to them about what they want to achieve and and how Neota might help them achieve it. I also spend a lot of time talking to our newer customers. So, you know, in the first few months of using Neota, I like to be really involved and be available. So the new customers who've joined can get up to speed and, and, you know, have a bit of guidance from me. I spend a lot of time talking to lawyers as well, funnily enough, um, so contract negotiations and discussions and that kind of thing. And that is actually one of my favorite parts. When you've sort of identified a good fit for technology and you need to hammer out the kind of commercial terms and do that negotiation process, that's really good fun. And it lets me flex my old legal muscles a little bit. Um, <laughs> and, and also sort of delivering webinars, writing articles, helping expand our, I guess, our philosophy and our approach to legal tech into the market. 
So yeah, a bunch of different things, I guess, that all come under the, the umbrella of sales and, and go-to-market activities. And so what do you notice uh, when you're consulting and selling to clients in regards to their behavior, as well as their adoption of legal technology? A lot of people want to know or want to understand the market. They're really curious about how legal tech can improve their lives and their, you know, their work lives and make their jobs better and you know, increase efficiency and everything like that. They, they love the sound of all of that. But legal tech is just a, a buzzword that they don't understand too well. It's, it's, a, you know, it's opaque. They don't really understand what it entails. So there's a lot of curiosity and a kind of desire to get some guidance about what that means and what the legal tech market is and even understanding what they want, what technology they need to buy. You know, a lot of the time conversations I have, the end of that conversation isn't, do you want to become a customer? It's here's what I think you need. It might not be any OTA at all. It could be something completely different, but being able to give that guidance and give that advice to people is quite nice. That's part of my job is helping people understand what they actually need and getting them to get to the right place with with those things. Essentially, you're not just a, a snake oil salesman, but you're actually there to help and spread the legal tech philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it really. I mean, I left law because I felt like law needed to change and I wanted to help it change. And my job is a, you know, I, I work in sales really, but that's not what I do every day, all day. I also talk about the market and I talk to people about the market and I write stuff about how the legal profession should change and I deliver webinars and things like that. Like you say, it's about educating people on legal tech. If we improve awareness of legal tech, it helps everybody. It helps us and it helps everybody else in legal tech who is trying to change this uh, this industry. So yeah, that's definitely one of the kind of core motivations. When you talked previously about Naota, you talked about how the technology that Naota provides is also being applied in other areas outside of law. To what extent is the technology that's being deployed right now in the legal sector, legal tech, as opposed to, say, general tech? Hey, that's a great question. So sometimes I I don't really love the term legal tech because it is just tech. It's technology. I mean, we're applying it to solve legal problems and, and improve legal services, but there's nothing specific about these tools that make them only relevant to lawyers. I mean, we have customers that are not law firms or in-house legal teams. They use the tool because it improves their services and it's not a legal service. It's something else entirely. So yeah, it is this technology. You have to understand what the tool does and how it can help you. But for example, Nyota, it started off and it mostly is a legal technology tool because, you know, I'm an ex-lawyer. A lot of our team are ex-lawyers and we understand legal problems really well. The problems that we can help people solve are legal problems. We can consult and we can advise and we, we know those problems really well, but it's not a technology that can only be used for legal problems. We could use it in, in, in all sorts of different spheres. And I think the future maybe looks like that. In that sense, legal technology from the outside view can seem like this esoteric concept or this type of area where you need to have specialist training, legal tech education in order to really buy in. But if we kind of take the tech and see that it's applied to a lot of areas and that from what I understand, what makes tech legal tech is that mindset, is that implementation to solve legal problems then we can pretty much say that any law student with a forward-thinking mind or an innovative mindset can adopt legal tech quite well. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, if you are a student and you've used 
uh, Notion for your note-taking or you've used Miro for blackboarding, those are legal tech tools too, because lawyers use those things, you know, to organize their knowledge or to brainstorm and, and, and work out business processes and that kind of thing. If you're familiar with those things, then you're familiar with tech. And by extension, you can be familiar with legal tech. It's just an application of those kinds of tools to legal problems that, that make it legal tech. Now, I wanted to switch more towards your journey itself, because from our previous conversations, your professional career journey is, is quite a diverse one. From what I understand, you started in social enterprise, then you went into the city, and now you're in legal technology. Was this a planned out path or was it more of a, of a zigzag trying different things and seeing where you land? So my first job out of university, I worked sort of part-time, always worked kind of a part-time job at uni. But when I left university, I worked for this really amazing social enterprise called DebateMate. So we, we taught debating programs at um, schools all around the country, which was brilliant, really great fun. It taught me a lot about public speaking and, and that kind of thing as well, which, is, which was great. So I spent a bit of time there, about 18 months. And then from there, went to Herbert Smith. I did my training there, qualified there, and then came to Neota. So yeah, I guess you could say it's a bit diverse. I mean, I don't know. I always had the idea that I wanted to go and, and train as a lawyer. That was always part of the plan. I think while I was at Herbert Smith, I, at the beginning anyway, I, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna, I want to be a law firm partner and that's my goal. And um, that changed fairly quickly. Uh, as soon as I, I qualified, really, I realized that isn't what I what I wanted. So I think it's a combination. You know, I, I had a pretty fixed idea about wanting to go into to law, and even when I began, I had a pretty fixed idea of I wanted to be a partner. But you have to really question your assumptions regularly. I thought about it a lot, and I realized it maybe it isn't what I wanted. So I changed my tack. And yeah, I think it's it's all well and good to have really strong plans, but you got to be willing to change them, uh, which is sort of how I how I approached it. So that sounds nice, but let's be honest, switching from a qualified lawyer at HSF to jumping into the legal tech startup arena isn't necessarily the most easiest transition. I can imagine that there are a lot of things that come up there, financial security, professional development, even just emotional well-being. There must have been a lot of anxiety when trying to reach that decision. So why don't you explain us a bit about the exact motivations behind the switch? I mean, it's super scary. It was super scary when I left practice. Um, really hard, actually. I think all of those things you say are true. I mean, it was nerve-wracking when I decided to do that. And the decision was kind of bubbling around for, for ages and ages before I finally made that decision. Financial security was, was absolutely a big one. I went into law because, you know, part of me was seeking that stability and a good income and having some clarity about what I was going to be earning and having a safety in my job. And that was a big part of me. And that was a big part of me when I was growing up, what I was looking for. The other thing that I found really difficult was I felt like I was letting down the team. I'd qualified into this team who I really liked. I really got on with all of them and they'd shown faith in me because they'd chosen me to qualify there. And then, you know, a year later, I was turning around and saying, actually, I don't want to be here. That was terrifying because I felt like I was letting people down. So yeah, those are some things. But at the end of the day, the other side was just bigger. You know, I was just, I wasn't really happy. I wasn't really happy with my work life, the kind of balance of, of you know, life. And I was, I was working hard and I don't mind working hard, but it was not a lifestyle that I wanted, uh, especially not in the long term. So it just kind of ended up outweighing what 
I was scared of. Um, I just got to a point where I just had to do it. I didn't really feel like I had any other choice. I just had to go. With the financial stuff, the financial security, I guess you just got to change your approach to that. You know, I, I, I'm still, yeah, it still matters to me. It still matters to me that I can earn a good income and I can look after my expenses and, you know, my family and everything like that. Uh, that still matters to me, but I guess you got to reframe it. So, you know, maybe there's more opportunity for income if you take some, take some more risk. Yes, the startup arena, the legal tech arena is a bit more volatile, a bit more crazy, but there's potential for huge upside too. If you can make the right decisions and you can work hard and you can really apply yourself, maybe you could earn 10 times as much as you did in a law firm. Nothing is guaranteed. You've just got to uh, think about it in a different way, I think. And the other thing in terms of people, you know, feeling like you're letting people down and that anxiety, it turned out that people were really happy for me. No one wants you to do something you don't want to do. If you're unhappy, you shouldn't be doing it. And people want you to do things that make you happy. So when I had that conversation, they were really pleased for me. They said, look, this obviously isn't the right thing for you. Best of luck. Keep in touch. Let us know how it goes. And if, if you need some guidance, feel free to reach out. That was just a, a fear that I had made up. It can be terrifying up until you, the moment you make that decision. But I, as soon as I made that decision, it felt great. I felt like I'd done a right thing. I felt like I'd taken the right step and moved somewhere closer to where I wanted to be. So yeah, don't don't um, discount the fears, but know that you know sometimes you can make them to be bigger things than they are. And sometimes they just need a reframe. That's fascinating how you put it. Uh, first off, in terms of questioning your assumptions, and then secondly, about reframing how you view things. Just on the fierce point, I'm quite surprised myself because a lot of people would rationalize and say a firm that's invested into your LPC or GDL if you are a non-law student and then trained you for two years and it turns out you want to jump ship, I'd imagine they'd be they'd be furious or they'd be angry or they'd be disappointed. But the idea that they were actually quite supportive of you is just, well, it's it's obviously very good, but it just comes a, as a bit of a shock. How, how did you take it when they... <laughs> When, when they whipped out that attitude? Yeah, I was shocked. I mean, yeah, I thought, you know, you, you've spent all this money to train me and um, to send me through law school and everything like that. And here I am, ungrateful, <laughs> uh, trying, to, trying to leave. Um, but it's just not like that. I don't think the companies really think like that. I don't think they instantly want the return from you. It's not that, you know, we've paid for your law school. Now we want a pound of flesh. I think that was in my head, but it's different to a law firm. The value that you might have to them, it's not just the kind of the the hundred hour weeks that you might do in the next two years of your career. It's, you know, what if you go on to do something really cool in a different market? And you have a really good impression of this law firm, well, maybe you'll come back and work with them in the future. There's far more value there than in the thousand hours that you're going to build in the next six months. So I think for the law firm, it's really valuable for them to have positive relationships with people who leave because you just don't know where these people are going to end up. And I I think maybe that's the way they think about it. Maybe that's a little bit too um, pragmatic and, you know, unemotional, but perhaps that's just the way it is. It certainly was the case for me that when I left, it was, they were pleased for me. Now onto the, the the reframing of the mindset, particularly I'm interested in the financial aspect. Uh, it's no secret that trainee lawyers in the city get quite a substantial salary and upon qualification that only grows and grows and grows. Now, say you like making money. How do you reframe that into the legal tech market or into the kind of startup lifestyle? First of all, I think there's no shame in that whatsoever. For me, it's it's absolutely one of the reasons why I went into corporate law was to earn good money, earn a good income. And that's not something I'm ashamed of. I don't think anyone should be ashamed of. In terms of the reframe, money is one thing, but there are other things that are just as important in terms of your 
future. And for me, it was freedom over my time and my energy. So I remember there was one moment when I was in practice, um, I was doing some work with a partner in a different department. And this guy was a really, really successful, really brilliant lawyer. And we were both there at like half past midnight, working our socks off on this project. And this was, you know, a guy who was at the top of his profession and he, they still didn't have control over their time. They were still subject to the whim of their customer. Uh, they couldn't go home at seven o'clock and watch a bit of TV or whatever. And I just, for me, that is so valuable. Having control over your time and knowing that you can stop work if you want to, and you can go somewhere else and you can have a good time and you can relax. I mean, that's worth a huge amount of money. To me, in my mind, that's that's incredibly valuable. And I just felt like that there's a route to that, which is clearer on the technology side and the startup side. And don't get me wrong, like you can work really, really hard because you're trying to build something when, you, when you're on, in, in the sort of startup technology arena. That can be really tough and it can be a lot of work, but you feel closer to it. You're not just one cog in the wheel and you get to control your time a little better. And I think those are kind of some of the critical factors when I decided to go. Just on that point about building something, it must be exhilarating when working, be it in, in the legal tech or in any type of startup environment, this idea of creating something of value almost out of nothing or helping something that's small grow into something that's now being adopted by a lot of corporations. Yeah, that it's amazing. I mean, the fact that some people are sitting around a table and typing code into a machine and that is creating a huge amount of value for people, law firms and corporate legal teams and whatever else. I mean, it's an amazing thing. Uh, and it's really cool to be part of that. It is really cool to be involved in that process. But don't get me wrong. I mean, law firms also provide a huge amount of value. You, you, you need law firms to cover legal risks, but it, the building of something, I think, is just something that appeals to me more. Making something, you know, producing a product or, and, and refining it based on feedback and, and delivering it and getting good feedback for it. There is something really cool about that. Uh, that building process that that really appeals to me too. What would your recommendations be to current law graduates who are unhappy with their current employment but fear about making the jump? Um, first of all, you know, I completely empathise. I have been there, and I I felt the fear, and I know what it feels like, and I know what you're afraid of. Um, everyone has slightly different fears, you know, um, perhaps with some people, it's, you know, they want to let down their family. You know, I, I was lucky that my family didn't really put pressure on me, but I know a lot of people have that and there are different pressures too. I, I think it's just, you have to make the right decisions for yourself. And if you know what it is inside, you've got to have the bravery to just go through with it. Um, I really believed I was letting people down when I decided to move, but I did it anyway because it was more important for me to do something where I was happy, I felt good, because I would do better work there as well. So I guess what I would say is, if you're really unhappy, just investigate the reasons, first of all, why you're unhappy. What is it? Is it you don't have enough control over your time? Is it you just feel tired or you don't find the work interesting? See if you can solve that problem first there. You know, If there's something that you can do to, to, to solve that problem, do it first. But if it's something deeper, then do some thinking, do some hard soul searching, decide what you want to do and don't be afraid of doing it. You just have to move forward. The other thing I've realized is that a lot of these things, moving and changing and changing your job, they're not irreversible decisions. If you decide that you hate being in a startup, go back to a law firm in a year. You can make decisions, you can try something, you can go back. There is no failure here. It's all reversible decisions that you can make. So try and uh, you know reduce that feeling of I'm making a step that I can't go back on. You can do whatever you want and you can turn around and you can go back the way you came if you want to. It really won't harm you. That's actually quite fascinating. I feel 
nowadays, this idea of changing jobs or going back and forth is a lot more accepted, a lot more naturalized than we might think. It's not the typical archetype organizational man of the 20th century, where a person would work at one company for 50 years and then retire. Uh, now we have a culture where it's much more accepted to be much more volatile in terms of our career progression and to switch different industries or sectors or hell, I mean, even work for yourself. So I, I find that very fascinating when you say that all decisions or all career decisions are reversible. Yeah, I think so. I mean, different things can propel you forward at different times. You know, right now, I think what motivates me is learning new and valuable skills. I didn't decide that sales was my calling and I really wanted to just go straight into a sales job after I left law, but I really wanted to learn what makes a good salesperson. I really wanted to learn those skills because I thought they'd be incredibly useful for me. And, you know, next year I might turn around and, and think, well, I really want to become a, a product expert or a marketing guru or a design guru or whatever. And, you know, I can go there and take a role in that kind of area and learn those things. So I think, yeah, I think it's all about collecting a set of powerful and valuable skills and going to the places which are going to teach you those things. You don't have to stay on one track if you're not learning what you want to learn. I'm a big proponent of that, just taking jumps. And if it didn't work out, no worries, go back and uh, try again. <laughs> Fantastic. If you don't succeed at the first, try, try again. Indeed, indeed. So what would be your recommendations to current law students or law graduates who want to get into legal technology specifically in that sector, in that market? Oh, the, well, there's a ton of resources now. There, there are some amazing podcasts, uh, including yours, Max. There, there's there's some amazing <laughs> blog articles. <laughs> there's a load of resources around the idea of, of raising awareness of legal technology. There's a big conference uh, every year, Legal Geek. Uh, there's the Artificial Lawyer. There's the Legal Technologist. There's all these resources that you can just read in the same way that you might have swatted up for a commercial awareness interview and read the Financial Times. I'm not saying you have to do that, but there are a ton of really interesting resources out there where you can just learn about the market, learn about what people are trying to do. Don't overcomplicate it. You know, Remember that legal tech is just technology trying to improve the delivery of legal services. That's all it is. And, you know, when people start throwing really complex words at you, like machine learning and NLP and all this kind of, you know, crazy stuff, don't worry about it too much. Just look at what it's really doing and look at how it's trying to solve problems and, and it will help you understand what's going on a bit better. But I think it's really valuable for young law students to, to, to get familiar with legal tech. I think it's going to be a big part of their jobs going forward. I think having a kind of awareness of the tech, but also the skills that go along with it, the process thinking, design thinking, project management kind of skills, those are going to be really valuable for, for young lawyers in the future. To finish off, I know we've said a wide range of quite inspirational takeaways here, but if you had to end it with just a line or two to say to law students who are keen on pursuing their chosen paths, but with COVID uh, lockdowns, it's created such uncertainty and job prospects seem more skewed now than ever. What would you say to them? I would say, I mean, it's really scary. There is these cycles and at certain times it's really nerve wracking to be a lawyer. You know, some of the guys at the firm that I was at, when they qualified back in 2008, 2007, they were saying that was a horrible time <laughs> to be going into law too. And, and maybe that is you know, the case now. I can't really relate too well because I don't, I don't know what that's like. But I would say from my perspective, it seems like a really cool time to go into law there's a lot of innovation happening. There's a lot of change happening. And if you can understand those changes and be familiar with them and 
learn those new skills. If you can learn how to use legal technology, understand how, how the, the market is changing, you could really set yourself up for being a huge value in the legal space. And, you know, maybe the traditional kind of lawyer role is going to change quite a lot. Maybe instead of after your training contract, becoming a, you know, a junior associate or something, you might become a legal technology associate or a legal innovation associate. Those are really, really cool new avenues that are opening up for young lawyers that could potentially provide you a lot more uh, fulfillment than what you originally thought. So, keep an open mind. And I think there's a huge amount of opportunity coming down the pipeline. Open mind indeed. Open mind indeed. Now, let's get to a bit of a fun question round I like to have with all my guests, a lighthearted end to this quite deep and metaphysical interview we've had. (laughs) The question I'm going to ask you, Shaz, is one on legal pop culture, specifically your favorite dramatized legal character on TV or a movie. Oh, oh, okay. I actually, I have just finished watching season one of Better Call Saul, so it has to be Saul Goodman. <laughs> if only I had the wit of Saul Goodman. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that character. Uh, it has to be him. I think there you got a lot of sales skills that you can learn just by binging all those five seasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a Renaissance man. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> Too early for his time. <laughs> Well, anyways, thank you so much, Shaz. If anybody wants to reach out to you, can they? And if so, how? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm always, always open to, to conversations, especially if you're a young lawyer that's, you know, a bit unsure about what to do, like chat to me. I, I, so yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, it's just Shaz, S-H-A-Z. Uh, my surname is Aziz, A-Z-I-Z. So yeah, reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's probably the easiest way. Fantastic. Well, there you go, folks. Thank you so much for coming on, Shaz. Really appreciate it. No worries. Thanks for having me. Well, that's the show, folks. If you enjoyed learning about legal tech and want to know more, feel free to reach out to Shaz Aziz. We've linked his LinkedIn profile in the show notes below. Special thanks to our unsung heroes of the week, Claire Herberg for editing and producing the episode, Andrew Wardell for scripting the show notes and blog posts, and Matt Gedrich for the absolute bangover theme song. Enjoying legal tea? Well, we want to hear from you, the audience. What areas would you like us to explore? What topics would you like us to brew? Give us a shout out on our social media platforms at LegalTea.uk or send us an email at hello at LegalTea.uk to spill us your tea. Till next time.